This podcast may be explicit in nature and may contain content that may not be appropriate for listeners under the age of 16. Now that that's out of the way, are you ready to learn some cool shit and have a laugh or two? Let the marauding begin. Wishes this your boy Kells rocking again with another fresh episode of the Culture Marauders podcast, the show that we maraud on all cultures and deliver the goods to you, the masses. I appreciate y'all stopping through. Hey, we got a super dope episode. You know, our shows are usually dope, but this is super dope tonight. All right, we're, we're definitely stepping up our game. Season four is rocking and rolling, y'all. If you've been following, you know, we've already had, you know, uh, uh, Emmy Award winners on the show, you know, chopping it up with sports culture. And all that stuff. And, uh, you know, we're bringing nothing but the best. We're raising the bar with each show. And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate to have our guests on today. So, but, uh, you know, uh, before we get into it, you know, uh, we got to hit up our Marauder Minute, right? So Marauder Minute for uh, today. Um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of keep it in uh, regard to what our topic is today for this show, which is barbecue, right? Um, you know, I love, love, love barbecue. I got a, you know, a couple of friends out there in the world, you know, fellow Marauders out there who, uh, you know, who uh, love barbecue just as much myself. Shout out to Nolan, um, Nolan Lee, you know, my buddy up in, uh, in, uh, in Germany, you know, this man, you know, he's, he's a big barbecue head like myself. Um, you know, I, I dabble in it, you know, I'm not a professional, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things I absolutely love and, you know, something that, uh, you know, I like doing for family and friends. I look at it as a, uh, you know, something that, you know, I prepare it's out of love, right? So if I'm on the grill, it's usually a good day. I got beer in hand or cocktail in hand or something like that. And it's usually just a relaxing day. That's the way, you know, your boy Kells relaxes, you know, just getting in front of a grill, you know, just doing the thing and, and preparing a good meal for family and friends to enjoy. Um, you know, uh, my favorite things to grill, you know, when I'm out there doing it, I like ribs, you know, uh, pork ribs, beef ribs, whatever it may be. Look, my guest is on here laughing right now, you know, um, you know, um, but as, as I've gotten older, you know, and, and I talk about how I'm getting older, right? You know, kids graduate and all those things and, you know, uh, dietary changes I got to make and all that stuff. Barbecue is one thing I cannot give up. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> it's just one of those things that has been ingrained in me, especially being from, from Nebraska. My wife being from Texas, it's a marriage, man. It's, it's, it's just one of those things that, I, you know, I just can't get over. But, um, you know, it's just, hey, it's part of my life. It's part of my lifestyle, part of my family's life. 
Um, you know, and uh, it, it, there's an important historical component to barbecue, especially for the black community. And y'all, look, as I say, we got a dope episode that's going to lead me into this intro, right? So the Culture Marauders podcast with guests Adrian Miller, a.k.a. the Soul Food Scholar, James Beard Award-winning author, attorney, and certified Kansas City Barbecue Society judge. What's up, Adrian? Ah, good to be with you. Thanks for having me on your podcast, man. All right, man. I appreciate you, you know, making the time for it. Oh, this is, a, you know, our Black History Month uh, special, right? So we do something every year, and, you know, we're honored to have you on here. Uh, you know, just to talk a little bit about barbecue. And uh, look, look, fellow runners, I know you're thinking, look, black folks talking about barbecue. There's more to it than that, right? There's more to it. And uh, we're going to get into, uh, you know, Adrian's um, book, Black Smoke. Um, I have it right here. I read it. It is super, super dope. If you're a history buff like myself and love barbecue, again, like myself, definitely check this out. It's got history. It's got, you know, uh, uh, stories of an important, uh, you know, black figures in the barbecue game as well as super fresh recipes in there for y'all to try, you know, so check it out. Black Smoke by Adrian Miller. So, Adrian, uh, I'm sorry, before we let you proceed, we have to get to this thing that we like to call the icebreaker. Um, you know, with uh -oh. these, I got, I got a couple questions for you, right? So, you okay. know, no pressure. You got to get at least one right. Otherwise, you know, unfortunately, I'm going to have to keep my book, and we're going to have to keep it moving and go our separate ways. But I think, you know, just... Just from what you know, what I, I've seen and read in the book, and you know our brief conversation, I think you're gonna do all right. So you ready to get into it? Yeah. Yes. All right. So I got two cards: one from the Black Card Revoked deck, <laughs> and one from the One's Gotta Go deck, y'all. So y'all know how this goes. Uh, I'm gonna ask uh, Adrian one of one of the questions from one of them. He's got to at least get one right, and uh, otherwise we wrap it up, and I go my we go our separate ways, and I go ahead and eat some uh, turkey meatloaf. For dinner, so we don't keep it moving. All right, all right, Adrian. Which one do you want to start with? You want to go a black car revoked or one's got to go? One's got to go. All right, one's got to go. I got four options for you. You uh, pick one to never be heard from again, ever. It's, okay. it's eliminated from the process. All right, one's got to go. This is barbecue centric, so it's right up your alley, right? Kansas City style barbecue, Texas style barbecue. Memphis style barbecue or Carolina style barbecue. One's got to go, never to be heard from, seen from again. Oh man! <laughs> I figured as, as much barbecue as you've had, this would have been like an easy layup. Like, oh, I know. That. Oh no, no, man, because I like all of them. I thought you were going to say another one, which would have been really easy. <laughs> um, this is going to make people mad, but I'm going to have to say Carolina. Really? You, you know what? I'm not mad at you on that because of, out of all those options, Carolina is probably my least favorite. I like it, but I'm yeah. not a big vinegar-based. I'm not a big vinegar-based uh, fan for barbecue. Yeah, see, I like it too. It's just I'm a rib guy, man. So Kansas City and Memphis, and then you know Texas, they're doing some good stuff down there, man. I can't yeah. sleep on that. Um, so yeah, if you're gonna make me choose, it has to be Carolina out of those options. I really thought you were gonna say sauce, and then an Alabama white sauce was. Yes, the Alabama white sauce. So and I, I was like. <laughs> so it's the horseradish based sauce right yeah with i think it's mayo too mayo right you so know it's, it's all right on chicken and stuff but it's not um you know if i was to choose among my favorite sauces i wouldn't put that one on the short list you know i i, I jumped a hold of that one like later in life um you know i had it they have one called a vegas style sauce too when i had when i was actually living in las vegas and it was a spicy white like a, huh. a spicy white sauce so if you're ever out in vegas um, I can't remember the spot. I'll look it up and send it your way. But if you ever make it out to Vegas, they got a Vegas sauce. But with the Alabama 
I'm not a real big horseradish fan anyway, unless I'm eating like oysters or something like that, and, you know, oysters. But uh, it caught me by surprise. But you know what? I'll, anything, you know, for, uh, food wise or barbecue wise, I'll give it a shot once, you know, but I'm with you. It would be on the lower tier out of those out of those four. That'd probably be my fifth. But my All favorite, right. my favorite out of there. man, I'm either going to have to go Texas or Memphis, man, because it's just something about my uh, my wife and I, me and Rena, we want to hit up Memphis in May, man, and just pig out. You know, show up with the action slacks, the stretchy pants, man. We just want to show up and just eat. So, um, so that's with that. All right, all right. I like, I like that one for your first okay. answer. So, okay, you're on the board. So, everything else is gravy from here, Adrian. So, let's okay. go ahead and watch this last question. All right, which food do you ask a certain family member to make because nobody else can make it right? Mac and cheese, potato salad, deviled eggs, or cornbread? Potato salad. Yes. <laughs> it was close between that and mac and cheese. Mac and cheese, yes. I was going to say the same thing. But, you know, I'm not a big mac and cheese fan. Not at all, man. Yeah, okay. not at all. So, But I definitely get the potato salad. Um, yeah, you can, you can really mess that up if you ain't you know, careful. You know what, Kels? The thing that's really interesting to me is that, um, you know, it's really within the last two decades that macaroni has become a, a barbecue side dish. Because if you go back you know, like the 80s and earlier, you just don't see mac and cheese as a barbecue side dish. And I don't know how this happened. It may be this the trend with the popularity of Southern food and its connections with barbecue. But yeah, that's that's fairly recent. But now nobody even argues about mac and cheese being a side dish, a barbecue side dish. I remember growing up going to barbecues, like family barbecues and, and friends' house and stuff. It was, it was macaroni salad. You'd have yeah. macaroni salad or maybe coleslaw or something like that. But you're right. I never saw mac and cheese until recently. And and again, you know, just to your point, yeah, it's just started showing up and nobody bats an eye to it. Like, yeah, this has always been. Her. No, not yeah, really. I, my, my late mother made a slam and macaroni salad, man. Really? It was so good. And we only had it on those barbecue, the summer holidays when we had barbecue. That's the right. only time we had it. Those are like the best, huh? Like you had those summer barbecues and everybody's hanging out and kids running around and stuff like that and getting bit up by mosquitoes and stuff like that. Simpler yeah. times, man. Simpler times. So look, all right, Adrian, you are a, officially a marauder from this point on. You got both questions right. I had no no doubt. I knew you were going to come through. Um, I wish I had something to give to you for it. I don't, but you do have you have the keys to the marauder kingdom to come back whenever you like, and that there is just as good as money or anything else we can offer. So ah, nice. Um, all right, all right, good, good. So um, so yeah, y'all. So y'all know how we do whenever we uh, you know we get uh, fresh faces on here. You know, we like to ease them in and have a little bit of fun before we get down to the matters at hand. And then, as I said in this one, hey, barbecue, y'all. Barbecue. I'm, I'm so pumped about this. So let's get into it, right? So you are known as the Soul Food Scholar. I like that title. Uh, before we got on, y'all, Adrian said, hey, give me a second. I got to go check my greens and, tear, and turn those down on the stove. I was like, man, this dude is already on it, man. He knows. So so tell us a little bit about about your background, um, you know, and, and how we came to this title and, you know, just everything in between. Yeah. So let me just right off the bat admit something that's going to immediately lose me all street cred on the subject of barbecue. OK. I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado. All uh, right. Well, you... That was a great show. We're going to go ahead. <laughs> let me win you back. Let me win you back. Uh, right, my parents right. are from the South. So my mom's from Chattanooga, Tennessee. My dad's from Helena, Arkansas. So, okay. you know, great migration story. They though, though they came separately and met in Denver. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, even in an unlikely place like Denver and its suburbs, I grew up eating these foods, barbecue, mm. soul food, Southern food, all of that. 
Um, went to Stanford University undergrad, and then I went to Georgetown Law School. Um, practiced law for four years and hated it. Now, it's not to disparage any of your listeners who are attorneys, but you know, I got to the point where I was singing spirituals in my office, uh, and you know, it's rough because white people were joining in. So that's how <laughs> rough it is. Um, you know, you'd be at the copy machine. Hey, what's up, Becky? And she'd just look at me and say, nobody knows the <laughs> trouble I've seen. Oh, my mule. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dang. So um, I was going to open a soul food joint in Denver because I had always liked to cook. Mm. And I had met a chef and I was raising money. And then a, a law school friend of mine was working in the Clinton White House. Mm. And she uh, reached out to me and she was asking me if I knew any other people who might. Because I'm in D.C. I mean, I'm in Denver at the time. Uh, and she's in D.C., right? And she's like, hey, do you have any friends back in D.C. who might want to work in the White House doing this thing? And I said, well, tell me more about it. And um, it was called the Initiative for One America. And it was an outgrowth of President Clinton's initiative on race. And the wild and crazy idea on the initiative on race is that if we just talk to one another and listen, we might realize we have a lot more in common. That is crazy, right? I know, right? Whack. Uh, so I did the same. I did what most people do, right? Um I got the job because I knew that person and I said, Hey, I'll do it. And so I ended up getting the job and uh, loved my time in the, in DC. Now at that point in my life, this is 20 years ago, at that point mm -hmm. in my life, I wanted to come back to Colorado and start my political career. Ultimate ambition was to be the Senator from Colorado. Okay. And uh, the job market was really slow. I was watching a lot of daytime television. I'm not even going to tell you what shows. Uh, and then in the depth of my depravity, I said, you know, I should read something. So I went to a local bookstore and I, I, again, I'd like to cook. So I'm in the cookbook section. I see this book on the history of Southern food by this guy named John Edgerton. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I buy that book and take it home. Page four, man. He wrote that the tribute to black achievement in American cookery has yet to be written. Mm -hmm. And I thought, huh. All right. Now, the book was 14 years old when I picked it up. So I just found him on the Internet, emailed him. And, and just wrote, Mr. Edgerton, I loved your book. Um, but, you know, you, you wrote this one thing. And do you still think this is true? He said, yeah, for the most part, nobody's taken on the full story. There's always room for another voice. So with no qualifications at all, except for eating a lot of soul food and cooking it some, I just said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to create the definitive work on African-American food traditions. Um, and I reached out to a lot of uh, uh, food writers because, you know, I didn't want to just take his word for it. I just wanted to make sure. Because I'm just thinking somebody's had to have done this. And um, a lot of older black food writers said, no, no one's done it. But look, you're not going to find enough information because this country is racist. We've never been celebrated. And there's just not a lot of information out there. Now, these writers were more mature and they didn't know about this newfangled thing called the Internet. And I got on that, man. And I, I found enough information to write five books. So I said, OK, I could either just spend 30 years writing this grand tome and who knows what's going to happen there, or I, I'm going to break off chunks of it. So I decided to write a book on the history of soul food first, mm. not knowing how it would be received because um, I just felt that that was the most recognizable aspect of African-American cuisine. Okay. So I wrote the book on uh, soul food, won the James Beard award for that. Um, then um, and it was your first book. That was my very first book. Yep. That's, wow, that's impressive. That's yeah. dope. That's yeah. really dope. And, and for your listeners, as they don't know, that's the highest honor you can get in food writing. Um, and the way that I organized that book is I, I created a representative soul food meal and I wrote a chapter about every part of the meal. And I explained what it is, how it gets on the soul food plate, what it means for the culture. So uh, let's just go to church for a second and I'm going to run through the meal and you can say amen or snap your fingers or, you know, say well or whatever. <laughs> um, so uh, entrees, fried chicken, 
Yep. Catfish. Yep. Chitlins. I know, uh, I know. I mean, there's a place for it though. Yeah. I, I had to, I could not write a book about soul food and not write. You would have lost it. credibility. You would have yeah. lost it all. All right. All right. Side dishes, greens. Yep. Uh, uh, collard, kale, mustard, turnip, cabbage are the most popular. So I, I tell white audiences, if you've discovered kale in the last five to 10 years, welcome to the party. We've been eating it for about 300. <laughs> uh, black eyed peas. Okay. Candy jams. Yep. Mac and cheese. Yep. Wrote a chapter on cornbread, wrote a chapter on hot sauce, and I wrote a chapter on red drink because I believe red Kool-Aid is the official soul food drink. It is. It is the yep. official drink of, uh, of Juneteenth as well. So yep. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then for dessert, I couldn't settle on uh, one dessert, so I wrote about four. Pound okay. cake, peach cobbler, banana pudding, and sweet potato pie. Money. Money, yep. man. So that's the meal I created. Oh. Um, and, you know, it, the, one, some of the fun is that when I went around the country talking about that meal, you know, people would argue with me about, well, why didn't you include this and that? And so one of the more frequent things people would say was, why didn't you write a choke chapter on okra? And I, what I told them is like, look, look, once you get outside the South, you don't really see okra that much on soul food menus. Now, people may cook it at home, although I don't think so. Mm. But you don't, you don't see it on soul food menus. Now, the interesting thing is in the, in the 10 years that have passed, now okra has become fried okra, has become bar food and appetizer food. Yeah, it's it's all over. Up, right? That and Brussels sprouts. Like yeah. that's all over the place. Yeah. It's all over the place. But it, 10 years ago when I was writing the book, it wasn't. Um, and then from the research I, I found on the soul food book, I found out about these African-Americans cook for our presidents. So that was the next book. And um, that was nominated for the NAACP Image Award right, for right. Um, Best Literary Nonfiction. Now, I knew I wasn't going to win because my the same category included Dick Gregory, who had died just oh, a few months earlier. Yeah. So I, I knew I wasn't going to win anything. But um, <laughs> I went to Hollywood for okay. the ceremony and I got closer to a lifelong goal. I always wanted to meet Halle Berry and she was one of the presenters. So the progress I made is that we were in the same building at the same time. Okay. You Did know, you get to talk to her at all? No, no, no interaction, nothing? No, no, no. Although I will say this, when she was presenting the award, if you go back and look at footage, she stumbled over her words. Uh -huh. um, that was the exact moment when our eyes met, oh. even though I was way up in the back. Yeah, yeah. So, so, all right, all right. So you could feel a connection between Halle. You know what? Hallie, stop fronting. I hope you're listening to the show. More than likely, you're probably not. But if you are, reach out to Adrian. Yes. yes. Not, not... We had that moment. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> then, then I came in, and then the latest is the Black Smoke, African Americans yes. States Barbecue. And the reason I wrote that book is when I was starting the Soul Food book, I thought I was going to have a chapter on barbecue because so many soul food joints have barbecue on the menu, even mm. though, truth be told, a lot of times it's boiled or baked yes. and then there's barbecue sauce poured on it or they'll throw it on the grill just to add a little flavor to it and then like you yeah. said sauce and stuff right right yeah but it's not it's not really truly barbecued right uh, and then a lot of black owned barbecue joints have soul food sides so there was such a synergy i thought but um i found so much stuff on barbecue that i thought it it needs its own treatment uh and i think that the final straw was um i'm i'm still writing the soul food book but in 2004 the Food Network decided to go whole hog, pun intended, on barbecue coverage. Uh -huh. And so they had a whole bunch of barbecue shows they were pumping yes. out. And uh, one of them was Paula Dean's Southern Barbecue. So I just said, you know what, let me watch this because I just want to know what the what the latest trends are, who are the leading lights. Um, watch that show hour later, no black people. No, no. At all. So, you know, I reacted in several ways. First of all, I thought, well, this is 2004. Why has this even happened? And then the second thing I thought was, well, maybe I got it twisted. Maybe it was actually Paula Dean's Scandinavian barbecue. 
sponsored by Alabama White Sauce. And I just, you know, I just wasn't paying attention. Um, and then the third thing was, you know, I thought, OK, well, there needs to be a, a reckoning and, and people need to have a thump on the head to say, if you're going to talk about barbecue in the United States, you have to include African-Americans. And it wasn't only Paula Dean's show. I, after, because of that show, I started looking at other stuff mm-hmm. and man, print magazines, newspapers, other shows on the Food Network, shows on other networks. It was all the same. Black people were either relegated to the sidelines or left out completely. And yeah. I just thought that was messed up. Yeah. And, and, and you know, now that you mention that, and we, I've been to Paula Dean's restaurant, what is a uh, mother and sons and stuff. And, you know, you walk in there and, and it, it doesn't have that feel, right? That feel that, that we have stake in, 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 you know, these recipes and, and, you know, what's going on in these kitchens. And, you know, I, you're hundred percent right. And um, what I like about, you know, black smoke is that what the phrase that, that the, sen- the sentence that caught me was, you know, your intent was to bring black barbecuers back to the center of the fire. And I think that was really, really powerful words. Just in that one sentence, that tells you right there what we're about to jump off into. And, you know, I, I want to get into that. Right. So the, the book, very, very cool read, uh, very easy read, man. Very, very easy read. So, you know, thank you. Thank you for, mm-hmm. for you know, putting in the work and, and the research and, you know, just starting off. What was the process like? You know, because, you know, I don't know how long it took you to, to you know, consolidate all this research and all this stuff. But I mean, just, you know, getting these stories and, and these recipes and, you know, just these uh, these testimonials and stuff. Like, how long did it take you to put together this work? So technically, it's 20 years. Oh, wow. But let me explain why it's that. So okay. I don't have many strokes of genius, but I did have one. When I started researching the Soul Food book, I as I was going through archives, newspapers, all that stuff that I was doing to research, oral histories of formerly enslaved people, old mm-hmm. cookbooks, I just grabbed everything I could on Black cooking. And yeah. so I included barbecue. So by the time that I had... Um, and, and I'm sorry, I should have told you this when I was telling my journey to research the soul food book. And this became the corpus for most of my research. I read 3000 oral histories of formerly enslaved people. Oh, wow. And I just referenced everything they said about food. Um, I read 500 cookbooks. About half of them were authored by African-Americans. Um, and the rest were from other cultures because I wanted to put soul food in a culinary context. Mm-hmm. Um, I read thousands of newspaper articles and magazine articles because now we have uh, companies that are digitizing them and they're word searchable. Talked to hundreds of people. And then um, to, cause I cared about my research so much, I decided to eat my way through the country. <laughs> As a good researcher would, I mean, you want to know what's happening. You got to do the work, Adrian. Right. I mean, yeah, you can't, no shortcuts. Right. Um, and then, you know, so then um, more, when I decided I'm going to work on black smoke, I would say it was about two and a half years of focused research. So, you know, looking in new places for this information and then hitting up barbecue joints. Mm-hmm. So in, in the in the grander context, 20 years, but really focused they're like two and a half. Two and and half. I'll, I'm doing all of this as a side hustle because my day job is I, I work for the Colorado Council of Churches. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing this all as on the side, man. OK, man, that's impressive, man. I'm telling you, a jack of all trades. You know, one of the things when when you when you first get into it, right, first get into the book. And the first portion of it is it's very heavy on, on the Native American or the indigenous people side of it. And I appreciate that because that's a story that isn't often told. And if it is, it's very, very brief, very brief, like a blip on the radar. You know, my wife and I, you know, we had this conversation it's like, when was the last time you've seen a Native American like in person? You know, and we're like, it's been a minute. Like, you know, so for you to take the time 
and, 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 and give the shine to, you know, our indigenous people. I, I, again, hats off to you. Thank you for that, because that's part of the story of how African-Americans, you know, got the cooking style because it wasn't originally ours. If you'd like to, you know, share more about that. Oh, can I just tell you, that's the thing that I get the most hater rate about. Mm -hmm. So um, from white dudes, I'm getting, oh, this cooking has been in Europe for thousands of years. So barbecue is nothing new. Uh, and then from African-Americans, I'm getting you're not a real brother because everything's from Africa and you're just trying to take away all the stuff that we've done. And I, I tell people, look, I wanted to prove it was from Africa. I wanted mm -hmm. to definitively prove that because this is a great contribution to culinary contribution to the world. Right. So I wanted to, you know, do this and say Wakanda forever. Right. But right. Uh, I'm one who's bound by evidence and I'm not I'm not one who's going to knowingly make stuff up. And um, all the evidence, and this answers both critiques, right, is that nobody talks about this until people start coming to the Americas. Right. That's that's barbecue as a word comes into existence. That's where we get the earliest images of this type of cooking. It doesn't happen until people come to the Americas. Mm -hmm. And Europeans were in West Africa a good few centuries before coming to the Americas. So if it was happening in Africa, it's just curious to me that nobody documented it or even even talked about it. But when they get to the Americas, they're like going crazy about it. And yeah. they because people would do these drawings of Native Americans doing this cooking mm -hmm. and they would appear in Europe and they made tons of money yeah. off these images. So, you know, I leave the door open for the possibility, but it just seems clear to me that indigenous people were doing this type of cooking. And then later enslaved Africans and colonizing whites bring their kind of culinary traditions. It all starts getting in this you know a forced collaboration but it all starts getting in a mix and um it turn, puts us on the road to something called southern barbecue mm -hmm. which has antecedents in what native americans are doing but it's a little different right right and then later african-americans enslaved african-americans especially are the ones that are seen as the standard bearers for this type of cooking right because all the natives have been kind of essentially been wiped out or, or pushed off to the side and so couldn't get rid of the african-americans or the africans that, that quickly so we're like you said, the the the, the torchbearers going forward. So, and I yeah. think that's a, a really really cool you know look into our history. And um, if I can, if I may interrupt and just sure. add one point, it's it was really, and I didn't know this. Okay, going into it, it was really interesting to see how um, Native Americans were vanished from barbecue history, and then like a century later, the same thing is happening to African Americans mm -hmm. in almost the same way. Yeah, almost the same way, and that's a very very good point. And you know. Where we look at barbecue, barbecues and, and things like that as a celebration, as a gathering, you know, as I said in, in the Marauder Minute, you know, there was a bad connotation to it because, you know, colonialism made it to where it was about savagery and, you know, uh, um, you know, violence and all these things just for a way to kind of, you know, dehumanize, as you put it, dehumanize, you know, the natives and, and the, the Africans, you know, where they could put their spin on it and make it to what they want it to be. So. Right. Because if you want to do evil things to a group of people, what do you do? You just make them seem less than human. Yes. And you bring all these cultural weapons to bear in order to strip people of their humanity. And that makes the, the oppression more digestible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, what makes African-American barbecue so special? Oh, it just tastes better. Oh, you want more <laughs> detail than that? All right. Next question. <laughs> No, I, I think African-American barbecue um, tended to be well-seasoned. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was tender and smoky so that it, it really, I think, I think African-Americans really sent the template for what people think of when they think of how barbecue should taste. 
Um, and also the use of sauce, uh, having a spicy sauce. Um, I, I just think that we are the ones that set America's calibrated America's taste buds for what barbecue is. Mm. Um, and I think that our, our um, use of seasoning and just that honed experience, man, I mean, you know, you had people doing it for decades and then passing on that knowledge. You have centuries of knowledge of how to manage fire to cook these animals in a way um, that makes them just delicious. It's and, so many different know, styles, so many different ways to cook it where you had the, you know, the uh, the spits or, you know, the, the standing sticks where they, you know, they would rack it. And I still see that on shows like Man Man uh, Food Fire with Roger Moo King. You know, he was doing that. I think they, they put a goat on, on, a, on a standing stick. I love that show. Shout out to Roger. And then, um, you know, I like, uh, you know, the, the, the spit, the rotisserie spit, um, you know, the, the grates. Um, I was reading that that uh, some of the churches were taking jail cells out of your book. I was reading, um, you know, they were taking jail cells and using that as a grill. Like so much ingenuity. And, in, in, you know, for, for African-Americans where you do have limited funds and resources to just be so inventive and just making it work and, and putting together something dope. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of the most inventive grills. I mean, I've seen bed springs, I've seen mm. file cabinets, I've seen toilets, <laughs> like all you know, used refrigerators. Uh-huh. Yeah, we we can we can make a smoke around almost anything. You know what? But yeah, just mentioning a toilet because you can use the upper pot as just like the the grill box, right, or the fire box. Ah, yep. Okay, all right. See? So all that stuff, oh. man. Yep. Yeah, and it's ceramic, so we, oh man, you know what? So it's like a green egg, right? Yeah, exactly, right? I might have to, hmm, okay. I might try that one out. Just don't, just don't tell it, just don't let anybody see you cooking. That, that <laughs> might, they might not want to eat. It's clean. I just got to people. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, y'all. So, look, again, if you get an opportunity, I'm going to promote the hell out of this thing, Adrian. Look, Black Smoke, you know, it's uh, the African Americans and the United States of barbecue with 22 great recipes straight from the pit. And great historical, you know, uh, accounts and, and uh, figures in here for you to check out. And uh, it's just a good read, y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna shoot you straight on this one. I, you know, I, I, I'm very selective about the books that I, that I, you know, I read. And this one was super dope. So please check it out, Black Smoke. So something else you need to check out. Hey, check out the Culture Marauders, right? Check us out on uh, on our website if uh, you want to, you know, learn how to podcast. Hey, we do a podcast training, and uh, the Culture Marauders is also the home of the Drop the Mic podcast experience, where if you're recording and hate the editing aspect of it, Drop the Mic will pick it up from there and, uh, you know, create a, a really, really good quality product for you to, uh, you know, put out into the world. So, again, www.theculturemarauders.com for your podcasting training and service needs. So, check us out. So, the future of barbecue, right? We just talked about toilets and, and big green eggs, right? So, no relation. But so, you know, the future, we, we come a long way, like you said, from bed springs and sticks and all those different things. Now we're looking at, you know, um, you know, uh, big green eggs and pellet grills and things of that nature. What do you think about that? And where do you think we'll be going, you know, here in the not so distant future? Well, it's going to be challenging because um, just the uh, ecological impacts of barbecue's popularity. I mean, barbecue is huge now mm-hmm. and, and it's around the world. I was just in the Middle East and they're going nuts for barbecue. Yeah. So you've got a, people eating a lot more animals and then they're doing it the old school way. So they're consuming a lot of wood. I was yeah. just uh, talking to this guy um, who knows a supplier, a guy who supplies a lot of post oak and stuff. And and he was saying like the current rates right now that um 
people are cooking with wood. I've got about 12 to 15 years of wood left. What? Yeah. We'll say that. Yeah. So, you know, as, as much as PP, as much as people poo poo, um, <laughs> pellet smokers and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it's, it's an economical use of wood and you get a lot of smoke out of it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to hate on people for that. Um, the other thing is just the rate that we're eating meat. I mean, um, it just so happens that the, the most popular cuts of meat right now are the ones that have the highest usage of animals. I mean, there's only two briskets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, two, two slabs of ribs and things like that. So mm-hmm. uh, what's going to be interesting to see is if people embrace lab grown meat. Have you, have you tried uh, any of the, the plant-based or any of those types of meats like that? Yeah, I like yeah. Beyond Meat and um, what's the Impossible. I like yeah. them. I mean, I don't, I don't, <clears throat> and I'm just saying this. I, I just don't know how healthy they are for you because I think they're loaded with a lot of salt and right. stuff. Right, for flavoring and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, they they taste good. I've had Impossible Burgers. I'm like, this is pretty good. Really? I've, I've yet to try one, man. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'll, I'll try it. And it'll just turn me off from any any other possibility of trying like you know alternative you know meats and you know stuff like that. But you know yeah. I'll, I'll take your word for it. I I, I got to give it a shot. I heard Burger Kings is pretty good um, unless you can tell me different. No man, I, no I had that. That was good. So you've you've got so there's just a lot going on. You've got the <clears throat> you know the animals. What does it mean um, for the animal welfare right. as well as just production? With the, with the increased popularity of it, you've got the ecological impacts. And so you're starting to see some trends. Oh, and another thing is uh, right now, barbecue is becoming really chic. And so, you know, for a long time, it was really the cuts of meat that people didn't want. Um, mm-hmm. But now everybody's like, you have to cook with, you know, high, high, uh, like prime beef or even above, right? Mm-hmm. Kobe beef, Wagyu beef. And um, people are, and then, and then if you, you, you know, if you cook with superior grades of meat, of course, it's going to taste a lot right. better. And if people are are cutting their teeth on that taste of barbecue, you know, how these mom and pops that have been doing it the old school way with cheaper meat, you know, can they really compete? Is it a level playing ground? I was talking to Dr. Howard Conyers about this. He's a barbecue guy. He's a NASA rocket scientist, but he also. Right, right. I was reading about him in your book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also does whole hog barbecue out Carolina. You know, he made that point and he's just like, yeah, it's, it's just not a level, level paying, playing field. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing, um, we're seeing the impacts on barbecue folks. So <clears throat> I, um, I, I just think barbecue is going to be popular for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do worry about the smaller barbecue businesses with um, the expectations of high grade meat, the inflation of prices, the fact that they often have a customer base that is very price elastic. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I just worry about their ability to stay in business. And I do worry about the impact on the environment and just, you know, how are we going to meet the demand for all of this meat? So yeah. I, I didn't mean to sound grim, um, but you, Look, you're seeing the truth. Yeah. It's the truth, yeah. right? Yeah. And you, you're already seeing shifts in um, black barbecue, at least. You're seeing more plant based barbecue. And by that, I mean, you have people who are smoking jackfruit. Mm-hmm. And for somebody who knows what they're and jackfruit is a fruit from Asia. Um, for somebody who knows what they're doing, they can make jackfruit have a taste and texture like pork. Really? Uh, if they know what they're doing. I've had plenty of bad jackfruits. <laughs> okay. um, and then you've got uh, people that are cooking roots and uh, smoking them. 
and cutting them to look like rib tips. So there's a place in Harlem called the Season Vegan. Mm-hmm. And they were cutting uh, lotus root and burdock root into like almost looks like rib tips and smoking it and then putting it in sauce. So you have that. And then you're finding a lot more turkey. Yes. Uh, barbecue, which tracks what happened in soul food in the 80s. So, you know, I'm seeing turkey tips. I'm seeing turkey hot links, pulled turkey. Mm. You know, all of that that's happening now. Okay. So, and you know, you couple that on top of, you know, like you said, these mom and pops, then you got gentrification that is, you know, wiping out these neighborhoods, these established, you know, um, established, you know, spots that people have grown up eating and, and loving, you know, they're getting pushed out to the side. So I, I, I yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, you know, we're cooking jackfruit and roots and stuff. It's getting back to what you had mentioned in the book about West African, you know, barbecue and cuisine where it was more of that type of stuff with, you know, and if they sprinkled in a little bit of protein just to kind of enhance it, but it was still based in those soups and stews. So Mm -hmm. I thought that, you know, just reading that, I could see that going back to that, you know, with, you know, like you said, with the inflation, the, 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 the availability of meats and stuff like that. So potentially, you know, potentially. I just heard just recently, I mean, just like a couple of days ago, somebody told me there in their city, there's a black barbecue joint that is rationing ribs. So you can oh. only get ribs on certain days of the week now because oh. of the prices. That's like oxtails back in the, you know, you know, Sunday yeah. oxtails, you know, but now ribs too. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Yeah, that's a nightmare, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Oh, well, good thing McRib is coming back here soon. I, pretty soon. <laughs> uh, just joking. Kind of. I do like McRib, but that's all right. So You know what? I, you know what? I, I, I threw shade on McRib and uh, I don't know. They made a comeback. I guess it was last year or something. I went to have one. I was like, you know, for what it is, this is tasty. It's, oh, yeah, the I, sauce. You got to have the sauce on it, though. But after that sauce, you're like, mm, <laughs> I'll, I'll <yeah>. pass. <laughs> uh, my my big excitement at McDonald's was they brought back the high C orange. Oh, my son had one just the other day. Yeah, the high C orange. That's what I was excited about. You get a good fish sandwich in the high C orange? Man. Yep. <laughs> I don't know who came up with that pairing, but I, I was talking to somebody whose uh, friend runs a uh, McDonald's out of New Jersey, uh-huh. and that friend, uh, the white, that was a white owner, and yeah. came to the black guy, the, the mutual friend, and just said, "Hey, what is it with black people in high C and fillet of fish sandwiches?" <laughs> My thing is, why would he? They come to you as like you know the de facto. Ah, this is why. <laughs> Hey man, that's what cultural exchange is all about, right? You just find that one cat that you think can answer it. Yeah, without getting slapped. Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> all right. So look, before we let you get out of here, we got two more items of business to address. So, you know, everybody eats barbecue all over the place. Everybody has that, oh man, this spot's the best. This, this, and this. I've done it. I know my wife, you know, does it. Everybody. What are your top three barbecue spots? I know you could probably list a million. Your top three. If somebody said, where are we going? Where are we going? Man, I, I just love Cozy Corner um, in, in Memphis. I don't know if you've been there. Um, oh, run by, yeah, it's one by um, the matriarch of the family is Desiree Robinson. She's in her 80s now. So she's kind of stepped back as the next generations are running the place now. Uh, she's the first African-American woman to be in the Barbecue Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, man. It's just the ribs and everything. But the, no, the thing to get there is the Cornish hens. Really? slamming cornish hens i like cornish hens too Ooh. slamming man how do they do it 
I don't know. It's it's smoked. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's smoked, and I don't know if it's lightly sauced or not. It may just be just smoked, but mm. it's it's just it's transcendent. Okay. So I don't know who got the idea to do that because I've never seen Cornish hens anywhere else at a barbecue restaurant, but they do. Hmm. Okay. Um, and they also, yeah, and they they didn't create it, but um, there's another place called the Barbecue Shop in Memphis that created this. But there's something called Barbecue Spaghetti. Yes, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Noodles, okay. barbecue sauce, and grilled meat instead right. of marinara. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, then I like this place called Burns in Houston. Burns? Okay. Yeah, in Houston, Texas. All right, I'm writing these down because I plan on hitting them up. So in Houston? Yeah. All right. Um, then my other favorite place is this place called LC's in Kansas City. LC's? Yeah, now the the guy LC died last year, so his mm. family is keeping it going. I went there and I thought it was still a good job. Okay, all right. So cozy corner in Memphis, Burns in Houston, and LC's in Kansas City. Yeah, you know what? While you while you were mentioning that, you know, a lot of these, you know, the heads heads of these uh, restaurants and these families have, have have transcended. Do you think that there's an uh, an issue with you know the family members of of these you know established businesses? wanting to take over and, and continue the, the business? Or do you think that, you know, maybe they're just not interested in it anymore? Oh, it's definitely the latter. Um, so, you know, what I, what the, the, the three that I described to you are a little different in the sense that they have kids or employees who want to keep the business going. Because, mm. you know, doing old school barbecue, man, that is hard work. Yeah. Um, and being in the restaurant industry is hard work. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, truth be told, a lot of people started these restaurants so their kids could have a better life or do something else, be a doctor, be a lawyer, architect, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're in a generational moment where these places are closing because there's just nobody to step step up and do it. An another place that I like is called Grady's in North Carolina. It's in Dudley, North Carolina. Okay. And it's an elderly black couple. So, you know, they're in their 70s. And I don't think there's an heir apparent. So I tell people, if you're in North Carolina, just get hit that spot. Make sure they're open. Call them. Make sure they're open. But hit that spot before that type of barbecue. Just gone. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a shame. But, you know, like you said, you got to enjoy it while it's here because not only, you know, is it delicious, but it's a it's a it's there's a story. Right. There's a story behind it. It's our story. So, you know, I, I, I agree. Strongly agree. So. All right. Well, Adrian, we're going to let you get out of here, man. This has been a really, really fun <laughs> and educational, you know, episode. But before we let you go, why don't you drop a gem on them? What's some uh, some words of wisdom from the uh, soul food scholar himself? Well, let me let me pivot and just give some writing um, advice. And this, I think, this was uh, applicable to anybody who's just pursu pursuing something they've been wanting to do for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, the the first thing to do is you you've got to find that thing that just sings to your soul. And if writing does it or just some some topic does it, you know, try to pursue it. Don't quit your day job. Um, you know, figure out, just delve into it, get into it. And then, you know, it'll it'll become it'll be very apparent to you uh, when you can make enough money doing this thing you love. If it's not your day job already. Um, the other thing I, I just tell people is share your dream. Um, you know, a lot of times we're told to keep things close because people might steal it. And that mm -hmm. happens. But I got to tell you, man, a lot of great things have, have happened for me because I told people what I plan to do. Mm -hmm. and, and people really appreciate somebody who's following their dreams. And you'd be surprised how much people will help you. 
to achieve that, even if, you know, it's it just a lot of great things happen for me. And you have to just believe that you're the one person who can tell that story or do that thing that sings to your soul. Other people may do it, but you're the one person that can do it in a certain way. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah you can you can make a hamburger a number of different ways. How do you make that hamburger? Right? Yep. And then put in the work. Mm -hmm. uh, these are gems, plural. I hope you're not mad at me for doing no, this. No, no, no. Okay. Drop them. Sprinkle them. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, you got to put in the work. A lot of people do shortcuts and other things, but if, if you put in the work, it pays off. For instance, I told you about all that work that I did for that soul food book. Um, it helped establish my credibility, but then it was a fount of information for all these other books. Mm. Um, and then the last thing is if you have a faith tradition, you know, trust in that spiritual source. Uh, for me, it's I'm Christian. So trusting in God is very, very important. It helps you get through the the lean times where you're like, why am I doing this? Nobody's going to be feeling this at all. Mm -hmm. um, so th those are the things I encourage people to do. All right. Well, there you go, y'all. Y'all heard it from the man himself, the soul food scholar, Adrian Miller. Um, you know, check out Adrian. I got his uh, email scrolling across the bottom, uh, soulfoodscholar at gmail.com. Where else can we find you out in the world, Adrian? Um, so I'm on Instagram, Twitter, um, at soul food scholar. That's the best mm -hmm. way to find me. And then Facebook fan page is uh, soul food scholar fan page. And then on YouTube, I have a soul food scholar, uh, channel. And then I'm also a soul food scholar on TikTok, although I haven't choreographed a dance. So I haven't been doing TikTok as much as I should. So I need to step up my YouTube and TikTok game, but yeah, that's soul food scholar. You'll pretty much find me on any platform. All right, cool, cool. So check him out. Um, you know, it's, it's a wealth of knowledge. We're only just, you know, probably at the very, very tip of the iceberg what this man has to offer. Adrian, thank you so much, man. And, you know, not only for your time, but just the work that you're doing for the culture and, uh, you know, just educating us on, you know, where we come from. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so, man. Good to be also, with you. Thank you. I got one more thing. Shout outs, right? Before we before we go. You got any shout outs? Any thank yous? Anybody you want to shout out out there? Oh, man. Well, I just just. This in a big way, just thank you to all those underappreciated, unknown barbecue cooks that help shape this this food that we love. Um, thank you for what you do. And then also the known cooks, the restaurateurs, the people on the side of the road, in the parking lots, yeah. uh, in the backyards, all of these people that are just have elevated this type of cooking. Um, I just want to thank you. And I, it's been an honor to tell your story. All right. There it is, y'all. So. With that being said, y'all got something you want to maraud on? Hey, as always, there's a number of ways to do that. Follow us on Instagram at the underscore culture underscore marauders. Like us on Facebook at the culture marauders. And then hit us up via email. Hey, nothing's off topic, y'all. Y'all know how we do on the show. So at the culture marauders at gmail.com. And also the website. We got brand spanking new content on the website. Um, you'll see our latest episodes up, up on the, uh, the website. Check us out. And, um, you know, we'll be featuring uh, Adrian's stuff as well. So, you know, check out the Soul Food Scholar. And then, um, you know, so, yeah, and uh, the newsletter. Um, we're going to crank out one here real soon. I know I've been saying it. Uh, hopefully by the time this is posted, we'll have something new. But uh, y'all know how it is, man. Life life is busy. But you know what? We're going to get it out to y'all. So thank you for the support, y'all. Um, you know, as, as always, you know, I appreciate, you know, the law enforcement folks out there. I appreciate, you know, the doctors, the nurses the uh, waste management folks out there doing the daily grind. Thank you to the listeners, the, the followers, the supporters. Thank you to Adrian, man, just for carving out some time, man. I mean, you got a, a robust schedule, man. And, and thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, grace us with your presence and just have some fun. So, yeah, no, it was fun, man. Cool, cool. So as always, y'all, y'all know you do. One culture, one blood, one love. Peace.